verses 1 through 6. We've been going through this series on Mark to understand who is Jesus and how he really, how he really shapes, forms our identity, our longings in our hearts, that by understanding the true nature of who Jesus is, our hearts begin to conform to his likeness, his image. We start to desire the things that he desires the more that we understand it. And so, uh, so far from now, Jesus has been on a roll in terms of miracles. Like he has casted out legions of demons, thousands of them. You witnessed him uh, calming a raging storm just by the power of his words. He just said, be still, and the storm stopped. And then uh, from last week, we, uh, or two weeks ago, we witnessed Jesus raising a little girl from the dead. And this is power beyond belief. And the word is getting around of his fame, of his power. And yet in this passage that we're about to read, Jesus comes home to his hometown. How will he be received? Let's take a look here. Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown. Oh, wait, sorry. I got too antsy here. Uh, if you're able, can you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? These are his holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give them our full attention today. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph, and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief and we went about among the villages teaching. These are, these are the uh, holy words of God. May God continue to bless it for us as the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, as we come before you, we pray that our hearts will be softened in the posture of receiving to truly receive your words. There are many obstacles in our minds and thought life and our hearts and convictions, but we pray may you have your way with us. As we hear your words, may your spirit be at work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one of my favorite dishes, I'm Korean, by the way, just to let you know. Not an important detail, but just letting you know. One of my favorite dishes is something called kimchi jjigae. It's a, it's a certain type of soup. Um, and, you know, you, you put a bunch, a bunch of kimchi in it, and you stew it up. And I ate a bunch of this during camping, and, and it just brought back flashes of memories because that's, that's my home cooking. You know, that's my go-to meal when, like, I'm exhausted and I just want something pleasant to eat. And um, I love it. It's God's gracious gift to humanity, this kimchi jjigae bowl. And I remember one of my friends posted an image of this soup, wonderful soup, God-given soup. 
and it was on Facebook, and one of the comments read, ew, you actually eat that stuff? And it was this moment where I was so offended by this comment, you know, like, how culturally insensitive. What should I respond to this person? You know, I was, I was about to get into like a comment war with this person, but I remembered that you're a, you're a pastor. You shouldn't do things like that, so I didn't. And the thing is, I realized if you live in this world, chances are someone is going to offend you in some way. Someone's going to say something offensive. Someone's going to do something offensive to you. You can't get away in this life without being offended. And in this cultural moment that we live in, it's a culture of uh, a tolerance, inclusivity, which I think are great things, right? But also, it has this confusing uh, aspect about it where you can't hold to your convictions if it offends someone else. That's the confusing part to me. We're all about tolerance, we're all about coexisting, great concepts, good things, but does that mean we should give up our convictions? I don't think so. We think out of everything, the last thing that should really offend us is something like religion, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. That should be the place where offensiveness shouldn't exist at all. And here I am to let you know God is ever so offensive. He's very offensive. I admit that he is. So how will you navigate through the offense of who God really is? The aspects and parts about God's character that can come off as offensive to you, how do we navigate through that? We're going to look at three things here. One is God is offensive the second part is uh, that everyone should be offended. And last of all, it's a blessed offense. Okay? God is offensive. Everyone should be offended. And uh, there's a blessed offense to all this. Let's look at the first part. God is offensive. Usually when you go to a small town, right? Uh, like I grew up from a small town uh, and... Uh, it used to be rumored that in my high school that everyone went to in that school, in that area, uh, <coughs> one of the singer, or I think the drummers of Metallica, the rock band. You guys know? I don't know if I'm missing my audience here. But a very famous rock band named Metallica, the drummer used to go to my high school. And my town became known for the rock band school where Metallica went. You know, it wasn't our CIF championships that we won. It wasn't the academics that we were able to achieve. It was the fact that someone from Metallica went to our school. And it was our pride and joy. When Jesus enters this hometown, right, you expect a hometown hero's welcome. And the thing is, as Jesus is trending and, and crowds are gathering around him to, to witness the miracles that he is doing and the wisdom of the teaching that he speaks of, uh, people traveling 200 plus miles just to see him. And Jesus shows up to this little bumpkin town of Nazareth, his very hometown city. People are supposed to welcome him. I mean, he's about to bring in commerce, and, and people, are about, people are about to be attracted to the city. He's about to elevate uh, what the city is all about. But as he comes home, look at the ending of verse 3. They took offense at him. They are offended by their hometown hero. 
That word for offense in Greek is called scandalon, very similar to the English of scandalous, which means to stumble someone, a stumbling block. Why are these people in Nazareth offended by Jesus? I mean, when you look at our passage and as you scan it so far, Jesus hasn't done anything really offensive or controversial until you take a closer look at verse 2. Because look at what they say. Uh, They they, uh, heard about him and they were astonished and they were saying things like, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? You see, wisdom given is a biblical idiom of how God gives, how God is the source of this wisdom and he alone gives it out. While mighty works is an echo of God's miraculous power on display as he liberated Israel from Egypt. And the confusion here is, or at least why they're offended, maybe there's a little bit of comparison here, a little bit of jealousy that someone that they knew growing up could possess this kind of wonderful power? Maybe some of the people of Nazareth were more educated than Jesus, so they think, how can this guy have all this wisdom? Maybe some of the people in Nazareth, they they were more uh, compassionate, maybe within the community. They did more acts of mercy. That could be a reason why growing up. And as they look at Jesus, they think, how can he have these godlike powers? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Why are mighty works being done through him? Ultimately, they're offended because God should not operate this way. This is not the way God should operate. Jesus is just a hometown kid. He had no potential. That means he was just an ordinary person. And they're thinking, hey, God shouldn't do things like this. Doesn't make sense. And yet, is this not what makes God offensive to the world? That God should only operate on our terms and what's reasonable to us. That's what makes God offensive. You know whose job I absolutely do not envy at all? Press secretary. I do not envy that job. Especially the press secretary when uh, Trump was uh, the president of the time. There was so many things that he said that was, came off as offensive. And, you know, a press secretary's job is to, like, smooth things out. You can't ever say that you're wrong. You can't ever uh, backtrack and say, oh, we, we really messed up, our bad. You, you kind of have to, like, answer questions that are super critical against the administration. Sometimes, I think a lot of times, uh, people look at my job as a press secretary, just say the things that you want to hear, but that's not my job. My job is to preach and teach the whole counsel of God, even the offensive parts, even the offensive parts. I I realize, like, uh, when conservative types uh, get upset with some of the things that I teach. Normally, conservative people, they, they, they get upset about the grace aspect that I teach about, how only grace can really change us. And, you know, they're offended because, you know, why are you emphasizing grace? You got to just tell people to get their act together, you know, do the proper things, just really give it to them. Stop emphasizing grace so much. 
Well, there's this other spectrum of people who are more liberal, and why do they get offended at me? Because I talk about living in righteousness, be holy before God because he is our identity. And they're saying, you know, don't, don't mess with my freedoms. Don't mess with how I live my life. Both spectrums will be offended by God. And, and the thing that I have to make sure is that your version of God doesn't start looking like you. That's the greatest, greatest temptation that we all have. When God starts to look like you, that God hates all the people that you hate, that God is soft on issues that you feel like are okay, and so you're more leaning on the, those things, but on other issues, oh man, you, you bring down the hammer. When God starts to look like you, that's a problem. That's an issue. And when God actually offends you, that's when you know you're engaging him. Because God alone operates the way that he wants. He is not afraid to offend anyone from time to time. Which leads us to our second point here. Why everyone should be offended. God is an equal offending opportunist. He is equally offending everyone. See, to be offended by someone uh, uh, means to be in conflict, right? Or some sort of controversy. And the thing is, not all, con not all conflicts, not all controversy is bad. Because that conflict ultimately is about clarifying your values. Conflict is all about clarifying your values. And what do you think God does? He is challenging your value system. This is what makes God the most controversial being that you will ever have to grapple with because he always will challenge your value system. See, in verse 3, as the people uh, are, are escorting Jesus in Nazareth, they bring up these facts. They say things like, is this not the carpenter? Is this not the son of Mary? They're, they're criticizing Jesus' social status. They're criticizing his education level. And when they talk about Jesus being the son of Mary, they're actually claiming Jesus as being an illegitimate child. Because in those days, you were identified by your father's name. So by saying the son of Mary, they were actually really demeaning Jesus. You're an illegitimate child. These are harsh words. They're harsh words. And yet, the fact is, Jesus wasn't offended by any of those things. Instead, here's what he's truly bothered by. Verse 6, he marveled because of their disbelief. He marveled at their disbelief. The Son of God, who can cast out demons on a whim, didn't marvel, didn't marvel at that. Instead, he marvels at the fact, he is disturbed by the fact, at the people's unbelief. The core of sin is disbelief that God is actually for your good. That's, what the, that's where the heart of sin starts. God is not for your good. Friends, the problem is not that God is for your good. 
uh, is not for your good, but that we settle for too little. We settle for what's less. That's the real issue here. There's this uh, one scene that I've been thinking about over and over again in this show called Beef. I, I shared it all with you. I won't share the whole synopsis, um, but I just think about this one scene, and you don't need to know the entire uh, show here to, to understand what, what the characters are getting at. But in this scene, Amy Lau, she's, um, she lands her deal, right? And she becomes this multimillionaire. Her, her business now thrives, and they're all setting a, a party for her to celebrate her success. She has it all. And in this scene, Danny Cho, her arch nemesis, crashes the party. And as he talks and sees all the party and what's happening, she, he asks Amy Lau, uh, this one profound question, and they're having a heart-to-heart -heart here. And Danny asks this question, are you finally satisfied? Was it all worth it? I just want to know because I've been hustling all my life, and I just want to know how far I have to go to finally be satisfied, to be where you're at. And Amy responds by simply saying, nothing lasts forever. Everything fades. We're all just snakes eating our own tails. I think about her line because I wonder how many people in the Bay Area live this way, eating our own tail, not realizing these things don't last forever, thinking that the grass is always greener on the other side if you can only have X, Y, Z, or if you can only achieve this and that. The grass is not greener somewhere else. The grass is always greener where you're watering it. And yet, when we exchange our relationship with the creator God for his created goods, you quickly realize it's never enough. It's never enough. Only God can water and nourish our souls. God may be offensive in the things that he brings up and confronts you with, but his heart towards us is always to lead us to where, towards where the blessing is at. To receive Jesus is to receive a blessed offense. Which brings us to the last point here. What is this blessed offense? As Nazareth rejects Jesus, they give him no honor that even within his own household, no one honors him, as it's put in verse 4. Being in community means that you will be offended no matter what especially in church. Here's what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying here, see, everyone's offensive, church is offensive, so let's just forget how we talk, let's just be brash with our words, and, you know, whatever obscene gestures when you're angry, just, you know, let it all out there. That's not what I'm getting at, guys. What I am getting at here is the fact to receive God into your life means you become more and more offended by your own sin and become more and more open to change by the grace of God. That's what we're going for here. It, it takes a community to speak truth and love towards you. And as you are being spoken to in truth and love, you can have one or two reactions. The first reaction is, who does this person think he is? 
Who does she think she is? How does she have the audacity to say these things to me? Does she not know who she is or he? Or it can be reaction to, to receive, to repent, to humbly seek growth. We're looking for reaction to here. My um, daughter, she this past week, she wanted like this alphabet cookie, and she asked my wife for it, and my, my wife said, no, you know, dinner's coming up soon, so, you know, it's going to spoil your appetite. Don't eat the cookies. And, you know, Kathy goes about working in the, um, the garage, cleaning it up, and then two minutes later, she just comes in, and this kid is just eating all the cookies, and she spots mom, and she freezes, right? And she won't even look at him. Instead, she gives him her the side eye, and she's mad at her. And, you know, and Kathy doesn't know what to do. And, like, in this still moment, she spits out her cookie in her hands, and she chucks it at the floor, and she's mad, you know, because she was told no, but she did it anyways. And so Kathy salvages the situation and says, "Uh, uh, Millie, if you're hungry, do you want a peach instead? Peaches are more healthy. And she doesn't speak. So instead of, you know, instead of, like, getting into this power struggle, Kathy cuts up the peach, presents the peach right in front of her. She doesn't look at it, but once mom is gone, she starts eating the peach and nibbling on it. And she starts, like, smiling and chuckling because she realizes the peach is much better than the cookies. I like to imagine that that's kind of our interactions with God. Like, we choose for such less and yet God wants to present something more for us. When he's offending us, it's because there's so much more he wants for us in our lives. There's this place in Matthew 11 where John the Baptist, he's in prison, and he's wondering whether Jesus is the real deal, whether he's really God. And Jesus relays the message back to, uh, the, uh, back to John the Baptist, and he says this. He says, The blind receive their sight, The lame walk, leopards are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It's hard to be offended by someone when you know your offense is greater towards them. For God so loved the world And yet it's a world that rejects him. It's a world that offends him with their sin. It's a world that says, I know better, and spits in his face. And yet instead of God leaving us that way, Jesus came. And he took on our offense of sin and death. Instead, at the cross, Jesus is the one that is truly rejected, not just by his hometown, but by his own heavenly Father. So that you, friends, you and I, with our offensive sins, might be cleansed by what he has done. And instead, being received as his children, dearly loved, dearly cared for, dearly blessed. That's what makes the work of Christ a blessed offense. Friends, if you know this, if you know this, to know that God would save someone like you and me. It's hard to be offended. It's hard to be easily offended in this world. 
But instead, should our response not be to, to deepen in grace and love for one another, to tell the truth in love, to realize that God is a blessed offense that saves. He's always for our good. He's always been. And that's never changed. Blessed are you if you're not offended by this. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we come before you, there's many things we can be offended by. But I think the things, the offenses that hurt most are the things that come from your hands. God, what you do in our lives, how you operate, what your words actually say. But Lord, as we come to worship, you are God. And even as we struggle to profess this, not just with our mouths, but how we live in our lives. Lord, how can we be offended by someone who is literally willing to take our offense on the cross? And as we look to the cross more and more, may we become less and less offended by offensive culture, but instead more and more in love with the fact that my God could so love someone like me that my God will still present his blessings towards me, that my God still says he still cares, and would it just disarm us instead of, uh, instead of being offended to, to seek the ways of love, how to love our neighbors around us, how to love each other within church, most of all, how to love you, because you are more, more, more blessed than you are offensive. And so we bring our hearts to you. Teach us what it means to live a blessed life in your sight. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.